Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. If this is your first time to visit KCC, I want to welcome you. I really do want to thank you for coming. You've walked in on a series of lessons that I'm calling Follow. Over 20 times, Jesus extends an invitation to to his disciples, to those who would be would-be followers, to just simply follow him. It is the defining action word and his calling of a commitment to those who want to be more than just admirers, but actually be followers. And we looked last week in John chapter 6 at the fact that you can be in a crowd of people admiring Jesus and not be a follower of Jesus. Which one are you? Do you have any idea? Well, I want you to continue to wrestle with that in a very specific way as we look at a group of individuals who are trying to follow, who are attempting to, who have been invited to follow. And let's see how in the world they respond, and maybe it will give us a little bit clearer handle on what it means for us to respond to be a follower. But I'm going to talk to those of you who really say, you know, I'm not quite sure that I'm an admirer or a follower. I think I'm probably more just an investigator, if anything. I mean, I'm just putting my foot in the water of this church thing, of this God thing. And to be honest, Jimmy, I don't know for sure if I even believe he exists. And I'm almost certain that I'm not sure that that's a a book of all books, a sacred book. I'm just not sure that I believe that. Well, I want you to know very clearly, God is thrilled you would even investigate. I mean that. And we are thrilled that you would investigate that with us. I just want to ask you. Give it a thorough investigation, please, because we have found that it matters for everything. And so I want to encourage you specifically, give it a thorough investigation specifically by getting in one of the Gospels in the very center of this story of God. Now, it's a big story, but you can go right to the heart of what that story is all about by getting in and studying the Gospels. Now, Matthew, that we're going to look at next week, Really neat way that he came on board to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Very unsuspecting. I mean, he wasn't a suspect. He wasn't even a prospect of anything attached to godliness, let alone following some rabbi somewhere to be his disciple. As a matter of fact, I'll tip my hand a little bit. He was a traitor. A traitor to the Jewish people. And yet he had what it took to become a follower of Christ. He had a chance to not just follow, but he wrote an eyewitness account of what it was like to be a follower, and we're reading it thousands of years later. Isn't that incredible? And if you don't like Luke, you can pick up, if you don't like Matthew, you can pick up Luke. Interesting guy. He was a doctor. He, He made a living by helping others live well. But when he met Jesus Christ, he found out there's no life like that. And so he sets out 
to inform a good friend of his by the name of Theophilus about what this following Jesus is all about. And he spent a lot of time with people like Peter and Paul. And he did a lot of investigating. And he writes down what he saw and what he heard. And when the church read it, they felt like it was so inspired by God, they added his account, his investigation, to the canon of Scripture. Wow. Then there's the Gospel of John, Jesus' best friend. Now, I think that's pretty cool. That of all the people who watched him move through this world, we have an eyewitness account of his closest friend in his life in the Gospel of John. And then there's the Gospel of Mark. Probably the very first eyewitness account ever written about Jesus' life. Interesting how he got started in this. He actually was a missionary. We prayed for a couple of missionaries this morning. He was a missionary who went on his first missionary journey, got cold feet, and went home to Mama. Because he got a little scared or he got a little bit down. or what, But it wasn't good. And someone who goes back home, someone who didn't have what it took to go out on the mission field, still saw so much in Christ that he came back a second time, studied under Peter himself, John Mark. And then he's able to write an eyewitness account, and God puts it in the Bible. Interesting. About what it means to be a follower of Christ, let alone a gospel writer for Christ. If you're an investigator, I want to invite you. Be thorough. But if, while you're investigating, for some reason you don't feel very welcome here, or if for some reason what we sing about and what we pray about on Sunday doesn't line up with what you see on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, please don't hold that against Jesus. Hold that against us because we're just messes. We're just trying our best at this following thing. And we may get it wrong sometimes. But you know what? With Jesus, that's all right. He just hopes we just keep our eyes fixed on him and keep following because if we do, we believe as a church he's going to change us. Amen, church? Yeah. But we want to say right up front, if we fall short of what you read in those gospels, it's because of us, not because of him. Now this morning we're going to be looking at a very specific moment in the life of Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's the first story of Jesus actually inviting someone to come and follow him in his ministry. I'm going to actually read two versions of the same story because Matthew's version, well, it's written to primarily a Jewish audience who ate, slept, and drank the words of God. As a matter of fact, they thought they were the special people of God of all other peoples in the world. Now, how that happened, we'll talk about on another day. But they had a long history of being God followers. And so when Matthew writes to that very Jewish audience that he sends his eyewitness account to, he's pretty bullet point. He's pretty succinct about some things, thinking that their readers already have the background on it. And sometimes when we non-Jewish people read it, we don't get the full story. As a matter of fact, this this story we're about to read, I, I think, can leave you with an unrealistic picture of what it means to be a follower if you just read Matthew's version. Here we go. Let's read, and you'll see what I mean. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother called Andrew. Now they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Really? I mean, some guy walks up to a couple of blue-collar workers who are busy doing their job and out of the blue says, follow me. And they look at one another and say, Okay. They don't even punch out. 
they just started following him. And I want to say, really? Wait, it gets worse. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his, son, his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing the nets. And Jesus called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Really? And i got to ask, isn't that strange? Isn't that just a little bit weird? That doesn't sound spiritual to me. It sounds irresponsible. Hey, Dad, this guy over here in the sandals says we ought to follow him. I think we're going to go. Tell Mom, hello, take care of the dog, see ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. And just walk out on the family business? There's got to be more to it than this, and there is. I used to have some teachers and some ministers at youth rallies that I would attend and say, no, 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 that's all there is to it. If Jesus says go, you go. No backstory, no information, just go. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, then he isn't Lord at all. Anybody ever heard that phrase? I did in a couple of sermons. Well, if that's true, then I would have said to that, uh, not at all. That's just weird. Well, there is a backstory to all this. Matthew's readers knew it well. You see, they were Jews, and as Matthew tells the story of Jesus, he writes in kind of a Jewish shorthand sometimes, like I said a few moments ago, and he leaves out the backstory to what's going on here. If you don't know much about rabbinic tradition, and we don't, this story makes no sense at all. But to Matthew's readers, it did. Because for starters, they knew that becoming a rabbi in the Jewish culture was like winning the Heisman. You heard me right. To become a rabbi in the Jewish culture in Jesus' day was like winning the Heisman, like becoming the most valuable player in the Super Bowl, or, for some of you ladies, winning American Idol. All right? I'm telling you, it was, are you kidding me? Huge to get to be a rabbi in the Jewish culture. Almost every Jewish boy's dream in life, I know this is hard for you to get, was to know Torah so well, which basically involved memorizing the whole Old Testament, but to know it so well that a rabbi would walk up to you one day and say, um, I think you've got what it takes. Come on. Follow me. Doesn't compute well, does it? Not in this culture. But in this culture, it was really? I, I get to be a rabbi? Really? Yes. Come follow me. Now, here's a good question. What if you didn't make the cut? What if from the age that you were six years old all the way up to the age of 13, 14, 16, you had studied so hard Torah and you had memorized as much as you could, but you didn't get asked what would happen? You'd go back to your father's business, fishing, shoemaking, basket making, whatever, whatever dad did, real estate. And that's what Peter, Andrew, James, and John are doing. These are three guys that didn't make the cut. These are three guys who got voted off the You Might Be a Rabbi show. <laughs> it really is. Now, when you hear that part of the story, and you hear Jesus come up to them and say, now, a rabbi here, follow me, it makes a little bit more sense, doesn't it, as to why they just might. That's why I really like Luke's version of the story. Because, number one, I'm a Gentile. I'm not a Jew. I don't know all that rabbinic stuff. I mean, I, what I just read you is superficial. I, it wasn't a part of my life and my culture and my wannabes and dreams. 
but it was theirs. But I love the way Luke tells the story because I think it gives a little bit more of the backstory and meaning to how anybody might, in the spur of the moment, say, yeah, I'll go with you. Luke chapter 5, here we go. One day, as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Oh, there's a little bit more going on here than just a cold call. Hey, Peter. Hey, Andrew. Hey, James. Hey, John. Come follow me. There's, there's, there's some preaching going on here. I probably need to interrupt here for just a second because this is an important point. Following Jesus always begins with information. Following Jesus always begins with listening. Following Jesus does not begin with leave your world as you know it, leave your lifestyle as you know it, and just start following blindly. I want to help those of you who are investigators to know this. We're not asking you to walk by blind faith, okay? We want you to have an informed faith. And being a follower of Jesus means listening and getting some information at first. Because just following and leaving your entire lifestyle on a whim, that's a little weird. It's a little cultic, actually. It's not like what I think the Son of God would ask of us. Now, this is extremely important because if you're part of any religion or even part of some Christianity that says, don't ask questions here, just do what we tell you. Run away. Run away quickly. Because Jesus himself came to inform us about what was following him all about. This is not just some blind step of faith that he's asking anybody to make here. Following Jesus is never that. So Luke gives us a little bit more story here. There was some preaching going on. And evidently, there's so many people coming to hear this preaching. Jesus can't stand on the shore. He starts to move back into the water. And so he says to Peter, um, Could I get into one of these boats? And the one that belonged to Simon, the owner said, Sure. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Hmm, more backstory. The first words of Jesus to Peter were not, come follow me. The first words actually to Peter were, could I borrow your boat? This is a point for a little bit later. Jesus says, I need to inconvenience you for just a little bit. Do you mind? And Peter was willing. Faith begins with listening. Faith begins with hearing. Faith begins with information. But becoming a follower means at least a little bit of inconvenience at the first. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now we anticipate from Matthew's account, again, come follow me. No. He doesn't ask him to leave. He asked him to go fishing. Now, that wasn't in Matthew's account, but it is a part of the account. Here's Jesus on the seashore, and he's, he's preaching the kingdom of God, and people are coming by droves to listen to him. It's getting so packed that he's got to step back. Can I borrow this boat? Sure. Moves back into the boat, and when he's done preaching, maybe for an hour, maybe for a couple of hours, he turns to Peter and says, let's go do a little fishing. Put out into deep water. And let down the nets 
for a catch, he says. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night long, and we've not caught anything. Wow, even more backstory, all right? But so that you understand the response that Peter gives in the context that it's in, um, any of you ladies here who like to ride horses, think about it this way. You've just got through putting up your horse, and you've brushed him, and you've fed him, and you're putting the saddle back in the tack room, and your neighbor comes up and says, hey, I saw you riding, and remember last week when you said we could ride horses together, but will now be a good time? Or you guys, you've just got through um, putting up your chainsaw. You've been spending the afternoon just cutting all kinds of wood. And I mean, you've cleaned the filter and you've gotten all the dust out of the, the chain and you've oiled it and you've cleaned it and you put it back in its case and you're shutting the lid. And then all of a sudden, your next door neighbor comes by and says, Hey, I, I heard you out cutting while ago. I got this limb in the backyard. Do you mind helping me? We've been fishing all night long and we didn't catch anything, Peter says. Very respectful. He next says, Master, now he doesn't say Lord, he doesn't say Messiah, but he uses a term of respect, kind of like sir for us. Master, we've worked hard all night long and we haven't caught anything. I don't fish like they used to fish. I sometimes get up in the early morning and fish late in the afternoon, but I don't fish all night long. These guys did. And a little bit of backstory on that, because the weather's hot around the Sea of Galilee, and, and to fish effectively, you've got to wait for the bait fish to come to the top in the cool of the evening. And so the larger fish follow those bait fish up, and so they try to catch them in the evening. And so they go and they try to fish while it's dark, while it's not just cool to fish in, but that's where the fish are. And then if they catch them, they use the daylight of the next morning to be able to clean those fish and to take the nets and get the beer cans and the sunglasses and the seaweed out of the nets. And that's what they're doing when this happens. When this rabbi walks up on the scene and says, could I borrow your boat? Yeah, a little inconvenient, but sure. Um, and then after he's teaching, he says, what do you say we go fishing? Well, we've been out all night long doing some fishing. And we didn't catch anything. Jesus says, I want you to do something different that maybe you've done a thousand times your way, but I'd like for you to do it my way. That's interesting. I wish I had a little bit more of what was going on in Peter's mind. Probably something along the lines of, hey, buddy, you're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. You stick to tables and chairs. Let me do the fishing. That's what I would have been thinking. I would have been thinking about those guys who also maybe down the shore were cleaning their nets like I was, watching me go out in the middle of the day when nobody fished, having me for lunch on the dock later, hey, did you see Peter decide to go fishing at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? What's he thinking? Those things go through my mind when somebody asks me something outside the norm of what I'm used to doing, but Peter has an idea he can trust Jesus. Maybe it's just a hunch, which is why this next part is so awesome. Not because I think it will help my reputation. Not because I think it's a good use of my time. But because I respect you. Because you say so. I will let down the nets. Now if you know anything about this man Peter. And what he means to the Christian world now today. 2,000 years removed. Imagine what hangs in the balance 
with this response. Don't miss this. The reason why we even know who Peter is is because of this little moment in his life when he decided to follow Jesus in an area of his life he was very familiar with that he had done a certain way a thousand times, but now he's deciding to do it a little bit different, Jesus' way. That doesn't seem like a big deal in this moment, but church, please hear me. It's a big deal. I'm going to trust this guy with one area of my life that I'm unable in, I have not done well in, I, I've not done well in, that I, it's just not working for me in, that I've done a thousand times my way, I'm going to trust him to do it his way. Now, for some of you, the reason why I've emphasized that like four or five times already in this message is because that's right where you are. It's right where you are. There's been this little internal nudge in your mind, maybe a little bit stronger. Maybe it's more like an elbow to the ribs this week or maybe this month. And God is saying in a very specific way, I'd like for you to try this a little differently than you've been doing it. I'd like for you to parent a little bit differently in the way that you've been parenting. I'd like for you to, to handle your money in a little bit different way than you've been handling your money. I'd like for you to treat your wife a little bit differently than the way that you've been treating your wife. I know how you've been doing it, but let's try it my way for a little while. And it may seem like a little decision, but you don't have an idea what hangs in the balance. Now, let's, play, let's pretend for a moment. This did not happen. I want to underscore this. But just imagine that before Peter gives his response about whether he will go and fish or not, let's just imagine Jesus sees a little bit of hesitation. And he says, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Before you decide whether we're going fishing or not, Peter, let me show you something. And he holds his tunic out, and then down drops part of the tunic, and there's this big picture that pops up. There's this big picture that pops up. There's this really big picture that pops up on the tunic. Looks like a little Tim. There we go. Before Peter says, yes, let's go fishing, Lord, he shows him this in high definition and says, now, Peter, hold the, hold the phone here. This whole decision hinges on whether you get that. That's St. Peter's Basilica. It took 118 years for them to build that bad boy. And it's your tomb if you say yes to let's go fishing. Now, you want to go fishing? <laughs> Can you imagine Peter saying, are you sure? And Jesus says, is the Pope Catholic? <laughs> I've been waiting all week long to say that line right there. And he didn't get near the response that I thought it would. Is the Pope Catholic? No, he didn't say that, but something like that. No, none of that happened because it never happens. When you're getting one of those little nudges from the Spirit or from God to, to do something you've done a thousand ways, a thousand times your way. And he says, why don't you try this my way? And, and we don't know that, that something significant, really significant, hinges on that little decision. But the truth is it almost always does. It's just another little fork in the road about how my life is going to look as I either follow my way or his way. I wished he would give me the high-def picture because I think I would have made more decisions that I thought were just simple daily decisions 
with a lot more of him in it. Now notice this. When they had done so, when they not prayed so, or believed so, or thought so, or planned so, but when they had done so, when they'd actually gone out and dropped the nets in the middle of the afternoon, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, the Bible says. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. The Bible says when Simon Peter saw this, when he sees this, he didn't say, Dad, we won the lottery. He he didn't say, hey, forget the 401k. We got Jesus here. Cash that baby in. Let's go on a vacation. Because Peter sees more than just a rabbi in front of him. He falls on his knees, the Bible says, and he worships him and he says, Lord, not master, not sir, but Lord, please depart from me. Get away from me. I am a sinful man. This is the beginning of Peter recognizing Jesus for who he is. But please hear me. This is the beginning of Peter recognizing who he is. Yes, at first it's what he's not. That he's disabled, that he's unable, that he's not getting it done like he thought he might be able to do. And all of a sudden, this becomes a moment more than just about catching fish. It becomes about living life with the creator of the universe. And those moments catch you by such surprise. Peter's been shoulder to shoulder with the Savior for maybe an hour, maybe two, maybe three the very Son of God. He's been amongst a crowd of admirers. He himself was an admirer when he said, but because you say so. But those admiring words changed to following words when he says, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Not until he takes a small step of faith. Not one of stupidity, not one of irrationality, but a small step of faith. Nonetheless, does he move away from the way he'd always done things to the way that God does things? And in the midst of this, suddenly his eyes are opened. And he sees Jesus for who he is. And I know, I try to remember, he didn't make the cut. That's why he's fishing in the first place. He didn't. Make the team. He was cut from the roster. He didn't get on the How You Be a Rabbi show. He, he's fishing. And someone comes up to him and says, I believe in you. That rocks his boat. And it always rocks your boat. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Now, I don't think they probably understood this any more than I think any of us understand future stuff with Jesus. It's hard to just get a hold of what's going on in the moment. But Jesus is saying, we've got bigger fish to fry. Things that matter more than just this. Come go with me. And so the Bible finishes. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and left everything and they followed him. Still a tough story. But with a little bit more information here, 
it makes it a little bit more understandable story. And I love this because in this simple story of Peter are all the elements of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we're out of time, so I've got to just give you the bullet points. Number one, you may be in the first phase, just sit and listen. Just sit and listen. We want to invite you to come back if that's where you are right now. You're just an investigator. That's great. We're, love, we're, we're just thrilled that you're here. We want you to know you can be long before you believe. The disciples find that out. They walk with him for several years before they really believe who he is. And so you come. You may not think this book is sacred. You may not believe that God even exists. But please come and investigate. Just sit and listen, all right? And whether you know it or not, that really is the first step of becoming a follower. So we want to warn you ahead of time. Do you hang around long enough? We're going to love you and God's going to love you so much that you're not going to want to stay where you walked in. The second thing is, you may be at the lone Jesus, your boat stays. Just a little inconvenience is what he's wanting to ask right now. If, if, if you were an investigator, could you do me just one thing? Please, what, he, what Jimmy asked, find one of the Gospels and just get in and, and, and read for yourself who Jesus is. Throw out everything that you know about religion. Throw out everything you know about church. And for a moment, just look at Christ. See if that doesn't make a difference in your life. You may be at the third stage, and that is the take him fishing stage. It could be that you've been investigating and you've, you've inconvenienced yourself a little bit. Maybe you've held out in the Bible program. Maybe you're getting some questions answered. But there's something finally he's asking you to change, to break up with her, to handle your money in a more responsible way, a God-honoring way. To handle what you say in your marriage in a very different way. And you know he's been saying it, but you've been doing this a thousand times your way. And now he's asking, would you try this my way? And he's asking for you to go fishing. And to see what happens when you start living life on his terms and not yours. Maybe you're at the fourth stage where you've been doing that. And you've seen the wonder of what it happens when you start speaking the way he encourages you to speak to a wife. And start handling your money the way that he encourages you to handle it in this society, in this culture. And you've seen a little bit of life, more life than what you could have imagined. And now he's saying, follow me. Not just in this area or maybe that area, but not that one and certainly not this one. But all of it. Maybe that's where he has you this morning. And I just want to encourage you. Go all in. Go all in. Life just gets better from here. Not always easy. Not always smooth. It won't be for these followers that we're going to read about over the next couple of weeks. But it's amazing. Let me finish with a story of a follower, not an admirer. His name is VJ Warrior. I remember when my wife started going to church, it wasn't something I believed in or wanted to have anything to do with. I agreed to drive her to church, to church, but I just stayed in the car and I smoked a few cigarettes. Sometimes my thoughts would wander going up in India, about growing up in India, being raised in the Hindu faith. My mother was a priestess in the temple. And as a boy, I believed that the gods had given me favor and that I was born a Brahmin, the highest caste of priests in the Hindu faith. My marriage had been arranged. But Garaja, my wife, knew that our marriage wasn't just a forced agreement that was set up by our parents, there was actually chemistry between us. I tried to be patient with her and her interest in the Bible. Garaja had attended a Christian school some years back, and that was how she first learned about Jesus. Our differing beliefs, though, didn't help our unity in our marriage. 
And looking back on the first 10 years together, I see mostly conflict and frustration. By 2005, Garaja was going to church every weekend, and I'm not sure why. But one weekend, instead of sitting in the car smoking, I decided to go inside for a cup of coffee. There was a small cafe in the church where I sat with my coffee, and I couldn't help but overhear the sermon that was being broadcast from the sanctuary onto the video screen in front of me. I listened to the preacher for a while, intrigued by his words, but from that point on, I sat in the cafe each Sunday morning, drinking coffee and listening to the sermons. One week, Garaja asked me to come with her to a prayer room to pray with one of the elders. We have so many problems, she said. We need someone to pray with us. And even though I didn't believe in this kind of prayer, I went fishing. Now, the fishing part's not in there. I went with her into the prayer room. We met a husband and wife by the name of Lynn and Carol, and they spent some time praying for us. Full of questions after hearing so many sermons, I began to ask Lynn about Christianity. And over the next year, he and Carol answered many of my questions. Lynn studied the Bible with me, praying for me often. And still, I wasn't familiar with the idea of just one God. This went against everything that I had learned as a boy. Even worse, I knew if I were to become a Christian, my family back in India would disown me. They would be so disappointed in me. But after much studying and prayer and support from the church members, I began to realize something incredible. For 42 years, I'd been looking for something, for someone, and that person was Jesus. I decided to allow Him to work in me. I needed it. My marriage needed it. We'd already had divorce papers drawn up. We had begun living separately. It was now or never, and I knew only Jesus could save me. And so the next Sunday I professed my belief in Christ and I was baptized. And right after being baptized, I baptized my two sons who also chose to believe. And that same day I moved back in with my family. God has a plan for me and he can heal all wounds and answer all questions. My name is VJ Warrior and I am not an admirer. Father in heaven, I don't know who you brought to this place today that you want to do a little fishing with. They've been doing some things in their lives their way. They've done it a thousand times, maybe a hundred thousand times. But they're sensing your leading, your nudge, maybe your elbow to the ribs. Could we try it this way? And they're not quite sure they've got the strength to do it. So Father, I'm praying this morning that they might get up from where they are. And come find one of the elders or me and let us pray with them. They may not know that the rest of their life hinges on this moment to do a little fishing. To step outside the realm of themselves and to let you have just one thing. Not their whole life. Not rearrange everything about their marriage not, or their, their profession. But just this one thing. God, we're together as a church praying that they would act on that one thing knowing that maybe something tremendous hangs in the balance of this one moment today. I thank you in advance for what you're going to do today, God. Please help all of us hear you, but not just pray about it, not just think about it, but to move in it. 
And I ask us humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a song very similar to what Vijay just described. In a time of invitation, we have elders at the back. We've got elders up at the front, myself at the front. And I have to believe that in every message that we do, God brings someone specifically here today that needed to hear just this thing because he wants to do a little fishing in your life or take you to just that next step from moving you from investigator to inconveniencing you a little bit. I don't know. But I'm asking you to take the next step and take it now while we stand and while we sing.